Father, Lord of all, we do trust you this morning and we lean on you. Lord, what a week it's been. Like a week ago, <laughs> a week ago, it, it, none of this was happening or so it felt. And then, boom, suddenly a wave has hit, hit us. Father, Lord God, we pray that you would be faithful in this storm, that you would keep us safe and secure, Lord, that you would provide for our families. And that, Lord, even though this is an unusual way of doing things, I pray, Father, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just provide extraordinary grace in extraordinary circumstances. That, Lord, nothing would be dropped, nothing would be missing, Lord, that that hiccup before would be the last hiccup, uh, technically speaking. And Lord, I pray that you would minister today, Holy Spirit, that you would be watching over the word to perform it. These words that I'm about to speak, that they may be life to your people. Father, we do come before you and we we repent of our sin. Father, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed. Lord, we have not done that which we ought to have done. And we have done that which we ought not to have done. Father, in Jesus' name I pray, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, and forgive us of all our unrighteousness. And Lord, all your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And so Lord, we claim this promise for ourselves, that we are only to come to you, and you will give us rest, Sabbath rest, rest from our sin, Rest from our fears. Rest from our uncertainties. Lord, we trust you and we love you and we give you all the praise. Amen. Okay, everyone. Again, I just have to take periodic uh, checks here uh, and figure out what's going on, but here we go. All right, I just want to read this to you. This is from a book we don't normally read as church, but I think perhaps it is good that we read it moving forward. This is from Lamentations. Chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was once full of people. How like a widow she has become, she that was great among the nations. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. Brothers and sisters, we are living, I think it's fair to say, in frightening times. These times are unprecedented, unknown in our lifetimes. No one, unless you're over the age of 90, has seen anything like this. And I'm referring, of course, to the Blitz, to the war. If you're under the age of 90, you've not seen anything like this. We are in this together, young and old alike. These are frightening times. But, Whilst they may be unprecedented, God's people have known such times before. Scripture describes, I mean, I could give you tons of examples, but Scripture describes God's people in a state of catastrophe over and over again. Be it the plague after the golden calf that God sends, the fiery serpents in Numbers 21, how about the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel or the Babylonian captivity 
of the southern kingdom of Judah? What about the plague that God sends uh, amongst the Corinthians for not respecting communion in 1 Corinthians 11? You can read that there. This has happened many times before. God's people have found themselves in a state of catastrophe many times before. And not just in scripture, throughout church history, if you're in any way a student or a geek of church history like me, you'll know that God's people have witnessed this sort of crisis or something similar over and over again. In the third century, there was the plague of Cyprian and a Christian called Dionysius wrote, quote, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in the name of Christ. And again, in the 16th century, more my area of expertise, academically speaking, the Reformation period, you had plagues in Geneva where Calvin, the 16th century reformer, was over and over and over again. In 1541, when a plague had hit Geneva, Calvin wrote this to his friend Butcher. The plague creeps towards us. If it has spared us for this winter, we shall scarcely escape it in the spring. What therefore can we do but betake ourselves to prayer and to seek for the spirit of godly sorrow and confession of sin in the sight of God? Brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by a great cloud of heavenly witnesses. They are cheering us on in this. They are saying, we have been here before. You are not on your own. Come on, you can do this. But also their example issues us a reminder. Two reminders, in fact. First, in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 94, the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Paul puts it similarly in 2 Timothy 2. He remains faithful, for he cannot forsake himself. God is faithful during this crisis. He will not give up on us just in the same way he did not give up in the church in the past. He will not give up on us now. This will not end us. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Second reminder that these examples from scripture and church history provide, in the words of Psalm 103, verse 14, he knows our frame. God, the Lord, knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows what it's like, if you will. He, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He knows that we are scared. He knows that we are afraid. He knows that you are anxious. He knows that you're worrying about what the shop is going to bring. He knows that you're worrying about what the next paycheck is going to bring. He knows all of these things. He knows your frame and he is faithful to you and he loves you. Brothers and sisters, I'll be honest with you and all friends who are watching, regardless of whether you describe yourself as a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. You're very welcome. I'll be honest with you guys, I have agonised over this sermon. And this is maybe one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to write. And it's hard to deliver for obvious reasons. We've already had a sound drop at the very beginning. Hopefully that won't happen again. Um, it's hard to deliver uh, because I, you know, I, I want to be with you. I want to be in person. And no doubt you want to be with me as well. Oh, well, uh, but no, you certainly, we want to be together, don't we? 
But it's also hard, you know, as a preacher to quiet the billion things I'd like to say at this time and to amplify the few things that God commands me to say. Because I have loads of opinions. You have loads of opinions. You have loads of preferences. You have ideas about where this came from, where it's going. Maybe you're optimistic. Maybe you're pessimistic. I have lots of similar ideas. But I need, as, as a preacher, to amplify that which God himself is saying. It's more important than ever that we understand what preaching is today. Because, you know, I've said this sort of thing before, but it's going to be harder for you to internalise now, right? Because of the distance between us. I come to you not as a radio host, even though that is what this looks like. I come to you not as a podcaster or as a politician or as a medical professional. I come to you as an ambassador of the living God through these digital means that God in his providence at this century, in this century, has provided for us. I come to you as an ambassador of Christ, an ambassador of the living God, whose hand is laying heavy upon us. If today, regardless of whether you hear you're a Christian or not, if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart to it. God would speak to you today and he would do so even through my flabby tongue. The only question is, what would he say to us? Let us first read, turn with me to Matthew 8. Turn with me to Matthew 8. Don't worry if you're not a Christian, you don't know how to access the scriptures. I'm going to read it out. Don't worry. But just turn with me, those of you who do have Bibles on you. You can always throw up BibleGateway.com if you want. Matthew 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 27 to start with. Verses 23 to 27 to start with. Uh, Speaking about Jesus now on on the boat in Galilee. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marvelled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? The wave comes when the disciples and Jesus are on the boat, and they pack. In their own words, they feel like they are perishing. We can relate to this, perhaps more than we've ever been able to relate to it as first world westerners they feel like they're perishing they feel like tomorrow is not promised indeed they even describe it you know the politicians even describe the coronavirus like a wave that's going to come you know it's approaching us and then might recede for a time and approaches again you know have we not watched the news over the past week with that sinking feeling a feeling that many of us have again not felt before In that very moment of panic, as the waves crashed and billowed around the disciples, and as they felt like they were perishing, who was Christ? Who was Jesus? What was he in that moment but God of God and light 
of light. You see, this is what the disciples could not fully comprehend as yet, that he was sovereign over the waves that were crashing over the boat. Heck, he was sovereign over the seaweed. He was sovereign over the seas and all that team in them. He was God. He was God over the sky, over the stars, over everything. But I want you to notice something about this. Notice something else. That is what the disciples are doing. They're the ones panicking. What is Jesus doing? He is at rest. He is at rest. He is reposing. He is sleeping. And at a word, the majestic theatre of creation obeys. Listen, friends, brothers and sisters, Christ is sovereign over this coronavirus. You know, it's called the coronavirus because the word corona is the Latin for crown. And when you look at it flat on, it has like a it has like a crown like appearance, like a corona, a bit like the sun as well. I think I understand it's also uh, coming from that as well, that the sun has a corona around it that, that looks like a crown. If you will, uh, the coronavirus will cast its crown at the feet of Jesus. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. But even right now, Christ is at rest. When Christ had offered, Hebrews 10 verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. Right now, at this very moment, Jesus, Lord of all, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is risen, he is ruling, he is reigning, he is unsurprised by this, he is undefeated by this, and he is seated, he is sovereign, and he is at rest. And listen, the book of Hebrews also says that a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. And he bids us now, this Lord of rest, this Lord, this sovereign Lord who holds all things in his hand, but rests in his sovereignty. This sovereign God is now inviting us into that rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not just for one day, not just for next week, not just for next month, but for this entire process, and if you're not a Christian, for the rest of your lives. Let us move on. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. It's in the Old Testament, uh, written approximately six to seven hundred years before Jesus. This is Isaiah chapter 8. Again, I'm reading it if you don't have a Bible with you. But turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 to 13. Verses 12 to 13. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. As I might have said already, for the first time in our lives, we are experiencing fears that we have never felt before. All of us, whether you're a Christian or not, I'm sure. But all of us are scared. 
and it's understandable. But it is a fear that for many of us is gripping us in our very souls. It is, to use you know philosophical language, it is an existential fear. It grips you at your very being. And it is the thought, you know, what if this civilization crumbles? What if I can't get food? What if tomorrow is not promised? A couple of times in the Gospels, Jesus addresses this subject of fear. And I just want to highlight a couple of these because I think they're instructive for us. So from um, uh, from Matthew, uh, sorry, from Isaiah, turn with me now to the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33. Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, not some of these things, all these things will be added unto you. What is the first response to this sort of existential dread? You know, what should we drink? What are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? The first response in verse 33 there, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen, if I can give us any encouragement at this time, that was just my computer, don't worry about that. If I can give us any encouragement at this time, it is this, to seek God's righteousness, to, in old world language, to repent, to turn from the ways that we were, you know, the way in which we were living before, and to look to a new tomorrow that God has prepared for you, to bow the knee to God, the only one who can help you, the only one who can give you rest, the only one who can provide, the only one who can provide for you, not just in this life, but when you pass from it. Over and over again, Jesus, you know, this we see this in scripture, in the face of catastrophe, we need to turn to God. And Jesus, uh, you don't have to turn to it, but in uh, Luke chapter 13, when the disciples come to him and he talks with them and, and he mentions the Tower of Siloam, which had fallen and killed people. It was this local catastrophe, this national crisis, if you will, akin in microcosmic form to what we're experiencing. What does he encourage them to do? He says, repent, lest ye also perish. This is our first response, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. That's the first antidote to existential dread, to fear. Okay, turn with me to Matthew 10, just a few chapters later on. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head, they're all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. What is implicit in that passage we just read from Matthew 6 is explicit here. What is the basis? What is the foundation? What is the essence of Jesus' response to fear? 
It is to assure you, as he does right now, seated on the throne, that the God who is sovereign over all these things is not just God, but in Jesus, he is your kind father. He is your kind father. And he has led you through this. He has led you to this. If you know him today, not because he hates you, not because he despises you. If you know him today, it is not because he is pushing you under his thumb, punishing you for some something that you did a few weeks ago because you weren't whole enough, because you didn't go to church enough. If you're in Christ today, he has led you through these things because he is your kind father. And all things come to you from his hand to disciple you, to discipline you, to sanctify you, and to give you an endurance that produces character and a character that produces hope. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is this 16th century text that was written, it's very, it's beautifully written, but it asks all sorts of questions about the nature of the Christian faith. And one of the questions is this, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer it gives is this, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his kind, fatherly hand. Your father is kind. Your father is kind. And if he has led you into this, he will lead you out. Let us also now turn, finally as we come to land, to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people who light a lamp, nor do people light a lamp or put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we tarry for now in this earthly city. And it is precious to us. This nation is precious to us. This town, this city, wherever you're living, it is precious to you, and God knows this. It is where we grew up. It's where we take our children to school. And within its walls, men and women meet, they fall in love, they get married. You have your families with your own traditions, memories of Christmases and birthdays, rolling English fields, Sunday afternoon with the grandkids, dogs and cats with silly names. This is our earthly city. And we lament because a virus is wrapping it in thick night. 
But into this darkness, God has sent a light. On the horizon is a city and its beacons are burning brightly. And in this city, the dwelling place of God is with man. He is our Emmanuel God. God with us, a very present help in times of trouble. In this city, God himself is with us as our God and we are his people. In this city, death shall be no more. We do not grieve as those who are, that, as those who are without hope. Even if death comes from, for us, it comes to us not as a reaper, but as a friend ushering us into the joy of our master. And in this city, there is no need of sun or moon to shine, because what is the light that is burning? It is the lamp that is the Lamb of God himself. Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what we're hearing from this city. The sound cries out. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure the city says that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the sound, the anthem goes out from the city that our God is with us. And in God's good time, a new world, a new city with all its power and might is stepping forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. That is his providence now. Brothers and sisters, if our earthly city is to burn, then may it be said of us in future times, by future generations, that we shined that we shined, that after everything else, we stood, that we did not retreat, that we were not cowards, that we men in the faith acted like men bold in the gospel, that we women of the faith, that you acted as women of faith and character, that we did not shrink at this time, at such a time as this, that we did not shrink from proclaiming the whole counsel of God. May it be said of us by future generations that we poured ourselves out at a time of crisis, all for the glory of the coming King, who is the lamp in this city, the light in which we see light. So I want to encourage you, you watchmen at the gates, you know, those of you who are older and mature in years, those of you who are mums struggling to take care of your kids, those of you who are teachers going into schools, those of you who are doctors and know the Lord and are going to heal people in his name, you city on a hill, you kingdom of priests, you body of many parts, you crown in the hands of the living God. Listen, you cannot lose God is faithful to us. Nothing can separate us from him. Go out, pour yourselves out 
Awake, awake, O Zion, and clothe yourself with strength. Brothers and sisters, we will get through this. And if you don't know him today, so will you. Turn to God today. He loves you and he can give you rest. Take courage. Be strong. Be courageous. Be still. And know that God is God and we are not.